time, Jay Mac. What's going on, guys? Doing great. It's another yeah, nice day here in Middle Tennessee. No complaints. Not as well as uh, Josh Heupel, but doing okay. Yeah, you're, that's a good point. Yeah, we're not doing that well. No. I mean, not $9 million. Good. Yeah. We're just kind of good. Two people are. Yes, <laughs> yes. Have the Titans hired a DB's coach yet? I. It's like the worst-kept secret, but yet I haven't seen anything official on Chris Harris. I, I mean, I think it's done. I think it's a done deal. But I guess until that official memo comes out from Robbie Bourne or somebody over there at Ascension St. Thomas Sports Park, I guess something could get hold up. I, I think there's also the possibility, and this is just me hypothesizing here, I think there's a possibility they may be waiting to get all the staff hires done and then just release them in one batch. These oh. are the moves we've made on our thing. So, so that may be something here. But, yeah, I mean, everybody seems to know that Chris Harris is the defensive backs coach or at least proceeding in that direction at this point. Steve, let's do this. We've got a bad connection. Yeah. We don't know if it's on our end or your end. Let's, Devin, let's call Steve back or get a different number or something. I don't know. We'll be right back on. with you, yeah. Steve. That's all. We'll be right back with you, man. We'll go right. count Josh Heupel's money. Yeah, you know, that's just a quick. At least, yeah. That's a good stall. Right yeah. There. Oh, oh, yeah. That'll take a while uh, to get that done. So I'm not sure we have that long before we. Is get that Steve like in back. Pulp Fiction, like the the briefcase so that you think they slid it across the table? I, you know, I don't think it went down like that. No, I don't. I think there was more of like a phone call and a handshake. Okay. Than you know, sliding briefcases across the table and you know having people put wallets in bags like at the end of the movie and all that kind of stuff with. You know, profane words on it. But, you don't you know, think they did it at the diner? I don't, I don't think, no, I don't think they did it at the diner, honey bun, or whatever that, you know. <laughs> forget the forget right, the exact term there. Let's see. So, honey bun, honey, honey bunny. He did call her, yeah, he did call her honey bunny. I think honey, it was honey bunny honey at the bunny. end of that movie. Let's see if we've got a better connection. What a what a horrible stall by, by <laughs> us. <laughs> that was one of the worst stalls ever. You opened the door of Pope Fiction. I did. That, that was <laughs> Steve, are you there? Can you hear me now? Much oh, better. Much Loud better. and clear, sir. Okay, good. Uh, well, I'm. Uh, you know, these downtown buildings, they're pretty fortified. So I, I move closer to a wall and a window, so maybe that helps. <laughs> okay. You're coming in loud and clear. Don't you talk about the former home of Hee Haw that way, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Rand Carthen was sworn in on Friday. What did you think of his presser? I thought he won it. I don't know if that means anything when you actually get to next September and have to win games on the field, but I thought it was really interesting to see a guy come in. I, I thought he, I thought he had a cool personality. I, it was meaningful to see somebody who literally had their dream come true in that moment in that room, and so many of his family members to be around. I thought that was awesome. And the other thing that was just really impressive to me is I don't know how long his Q and A went, but I, you know, I think it was 15 minutes or more, and he got asked just about every meaningful question about the Titans organization, including some that, frankly, I, I can't imagine the person asking the question expected that they were going to get a legitimate answer on the first day on the job from the man. But he took them all, and I think he handled them very appropriately. And so that demonstrated to me that he's a bright guy that has at least a solid understanding of the situation he's walking into. Now, does he know what direction he's going with Ryan Tannehill yet? or other very specific divisions to the roster, or decisions to the roster, I should say. I, I don't know. I, I assume he's got to work through some of that. But he at least understands the situation he's walking into. I read this on Friday's show. 
Um, I had reached out to someone inside the 49ers organization. So someone in the building, someone that's been around Rand for many years. And I just said, you know, what do you think? Give, give me a little insights if you can. And this person responded and said, Rand will be fantastic for the Titans in Nashville. Everyone in our building loves Rand. We're excited for his opportunity, but sad that he's leaving us. He's easy to talk to and really connects with everyone. He has a great sense of humor. I'm sure you guys will enjoy working with him. I'll be watching the presser uh, tomorrow. And so I, you know, I kind of felt like that response is, you know, without being around him yet, you know, without we've asked for him to come on the show. Hopefully that's going to happen this week. Uh, they, you know, they've said they they believe it's going to happen sometime soon, and we'll get that same feel. But that, that's what it feels like today, right? It it feels like that response. Everything feels good today. Yeah, but that's also true with any hire, I think. I mean, I agree with you. I think everything that that person messaged you came out in the press conference. But again, day one, and let's be honest, if you don't win the press conference, it's a bad hire. Yeah. If you can't stand up there and say the right things and make a good impression in the opening hour, it's going to spell problems, I think, for the days to follow. And so Rand Carthon hit it out of the park on Friday. Now the question is, how does he get down to work? And what is the direction he envisions with this team? And he sort of hinted to me that he doesn't view this as a complete rebuild. So I don't think you're going to see everything torn down from where they are. I don't think the direction that he wants to go or, frankly, that Amy Adams-Strunk will tolerate is stripping it down and heading towards the first pick in the draft to try and rebuild with that, they're going to do some semblance of a reload. Now, whether it's a reload where they think they could change a couple of pieces and go win the Super Bowl next year or you know maybe take a step back and try and do it that way, that remains to be seen. But that's about the only thing we really got out of it. And now it's just how does he go about doing it? And that's where you're ultimately going to judge what he, he does and how people interact with him and what's he doing for agency and all that. But everybody I've talked to who's worked with him in the past, whether that be in the Rams organization or out in San Francisco through media, just says he's a really good guy, really bright guy, has a big football background and pedigree. And obviously when you look at what the 49ers in particular have done in that personnel department, it's hard not to like that body of work. Yeah, here's uh, something interesting. Luke Steckel is going to interview for the Chargers opening at OC. About half the league's got an opening at OC, by the way. Luke Steckel is going to interview for that job. Luke Steckel's been with the Titans for what? Close to a decade or a decade? Uh Isn't it interesting that we never hear anything about Luke Steckel when it comes to openings for them? It is interesting because I've talked to a couple people about him, Darren, and everybody raves about Luke Steckel in terms of how smart he is. I think he went to Princeton, and just he's a, he's a really savvy guy that understands football and certainly understands the way things work inside Ascension St. Thomas Sports Park. At the same time, he just became a tight ends coach, you know, a, a full-fledged position coach a couple years ago when Todd Downing got promoted to become the offensive coordinator. And so he hasn't had a ton of experience. While he's been in the building for a long time, he hasn't had a ton of experience as somebody who, who's very into the details and everything of the offense. So it's interesting to me. I think he's bright, and sometimes when you're bright, you just need that opportunity, and you can knock it out of the park, and he might be able to do that. But it is interesting. that We haven't heard a ton about Luke Steckel here, and now all of a sudden he potentially has an opportunity to be an OC somewhere else. 
So where do you think ultimately Mike Vrabel is going to turn for his OC opening? Hmm. Good question. The fact that it hasn't picked up a little bit more pace makes me think that he may be mostly interested in guys who are connected to teams that are still playing, whether that be an Eric Bieniemy or a Matt Nagy that we talked about last week who have obviously ties to the Chiefs who are playing this weekend in the AFC Championship or you know, somebody else. Is there somebody on that Cincinnati staff that Mike Vrabel is really interested in? Obviously, they haven't had much success against the Bengals over the last three seasons. Does that pique his interest? Is there somebody else out there? I don't know. But the fact that it hasn't picked up more steam to this point makes me believe that he's really wanting to make sure that he talks to everybody that he's interested in, even if that takes a little while, before he ultimately makes a decision. And unlike GM, where they were in a hurry, and they needed to make a hire and start the process of the offseason and make sure everyone's on the same page. It really doesn't matter with the offensive coordinator. You can wait till after the Super Bowl and bring that guy in, and, and you still have plenty of time to have all your ducks in a row before the players report again in mid-April to get ready for next season. So we'll see how quickly that happens, but it doesn't appear they're in any hurry. What do you think currently, now that you watch Jacksonville and their season play out, where they came from behind 27 nothing to win, a playoff game, and then play Kansas City really tough. I get it, Mahomes was hurt and banged up, but, uh, you know, they played a good, tight contest in Kansas City at Arrowhead. What do you think the gap currently is today? I get it. I'm asking you today. What is today? January 24th. A lot of Mm -hmm. things are going to change. The rosters are going to look totally different, but I'm just asking you today, what do you think the gap is between Jacksonville and Tennessee? about a Josh Jobs forward pass into the arms to Josh Allen. I mean, even as bad as the Titans were. So you think it's close? Yeah, I mean, even as bad as the Titans were, Darren, in week 18, they're playing with a guy who's on the practice squad in Detroit two weeks earlier or three weeks earlier, and they go down there and they control that football game until three minutes to go when that play happened. And I do think it was a fumble, and the Jaguars won the game, and then they won a playoff game. So I think the Jaguars are better, but – the Titans were not that far away from being able to compete with that team. And even, frankly, when you look around at a bunch of the other losses, I mean, they took Kansas City to overtime. They played the Bengals right down to the final possession again. So, you know, they really only got blown out by the Bills and by the Eagles. And everybody else, they were, they were in the game. They just didn't have enough juice this season to figure out how to beat those elite teams, and that even includes the Jaguars team that got to the playoffs and won a game. But I, I do think they're close. So I think if you add a healthy Ryan Tannehill back and, and fix this roster going into next year, I, I think it absolutely feels to me like a division, again, that's between the Jaguars and the Titans. The big difference is the Jaguars have built their team with cheap draft picks, guys who are young in their career. The Titans now are predominantly guys who are on their second contract, who are their stars. So it feels like the Jags have more room to continue to go up, while the Titans are going to either have to really figure out how to rework things, or they probably have a, a ceiling that they're going to hit at some point there. Yeah, you know, the other thing about it, Steve, is uh, we look at the division next year. Both Indianapolis and Houston will be starting over again at quarterback and head coach at both positions. Yep. Uh, they'll be starting over again. I wanted to ask you about the relationship between uh, Rand Carthen and Vrabes, as he's called him. I, I don't think I've heard him say Mike Vrabel once. It's been Vrabes uh, pretty much the entire time. Uh, obviously, both are former players. 
Uh, both of them have been in football for a very long time. Both of them went to big-time colleges and big-time conferences. It would seem the relationship is going to be very different between uh, Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthen than the relationship that Vrabel had with John Robinson. See, I, I think Mike and John actually had a pretty darn good relationship from everything I knew ahead of the dismissal and, frankly, what I've learned after the dismissal. But I do think this will be interesting because these two guys have some similarities in their background, and I think they're both excited to work with each other. The one thing that was made clear to me by this decision the other day by Amy Adams Strunk to go in this direction is Rand Carthon's in charge of the football department for the Titans. Mike Vrabel's going to have more power because he's been around longer now than uh, Rand Carthon has. But he's not going to have complete control. And I think that was one of the things we wondered about when John Robinson got fired, was this Mike Vrabel flexing his muscles, so to speak, to say, I need more control. I need, I need to have final say on what we do in draft picks or in free agency. And I, I don't think that's it. I think this is going to be a very similar type of partnership. Vrabel will have more power just because he's been around longer. But I think Rand Carthon's the guy coming in to make the decisions, and ultimately they've got to find a way to work together, and hopefully they work together well. So you're not buying into the whole collaboration uh, talk that was mentioned so many times at the press conference there where people would ask who's in charge. They would say, well, we're going to collaborate. Well, I, I do think they're going to collaborate. But at the end of the day, you know as well as I do, no matter how good your business is and no matter how much you work as a team and collaborate, at the end of the day, there's somebody there that ultimately makes the decision. And, you know, in some cases, that may be Amy Adams Strunk. When it comes down to breaking a tie, if it's the most important decision or something like that, or if it's the future of Ryan Tannehill, it may, it may come to her. Hey, here's option A, here's option B. We're on the fence, and she makes it. But I think by and large, when you're talking about the run-of-the-mill day-to-day decisions, when you're talking about a guy you're bringing in on the practice squad or a back-end-of-the-roster type of guy or who you're going to draft in the fourth and fifth and sixth rounds, that, that is going to be a collaborative effort, as he talked about, between himself and Vrabel and the coaching staff and all the scouts. But at the end of the day, when the card's got to go in or the phone call has to be made, one person's making that call, and that person's going to be Rand Carthon. And, and so I do think he has the ultimate checkmate, if you will, in the situation. But I do think the goal here is to find a group that reaches a consensus perhaps more than they had in the past. What do you think, and I know that it's, this, this is really early, but uh, maybe this is the better question. How many former 49ers are going to be here next year, do you think? Uh, I'm putting the over-under <laughs> at five. How, how many hmm. former 49ers will be on the Titans roster next year? I mean, that's, that's a great question, and I have no idea. I, I, would put it <laughs> the same number, I would put it in the same category of however many Patriots there were here back in 2016 or 2017 uh, when John Robinson just walked around. I, I mean, I, I do think there's some truth that when you know guys – and you understand the type of player they are and what they do in the building, just that familiarity makes it more likely that you would go back to that well if you have the opportunity at some point. So I I think there's a real chance you see a handful of those guys here next year, even if it's a guy who's a borderline roster guy that just goes in for depth to see if he can make the team ultimately. I, I think you'll see a bunch of those guys here because there was a lot of success. And let's face it, if you're a Titans fan, you could do a whole lot worse than bringing in some guys with that San Francisco background, as oh, much yeah. as they've won and as deep as those rosters have been. I wanted to ask you real quick, switching away from the Titans, your thoughts about 
uh, Kevin Mawai taking over the job over at Lipscomb uh, Academy. Obviously, they go from a Super Bowl champion to a Hall of Fame, uh, you know, offensive lineman. Um, you know, that's it, some serious firepower for a for a high school, and uh, some of the things they've been able to do over there seem very, very impressive uh, for for an academy. No question, Justin. I'm I'm kind of blown away at the transformation over there. First off, I had no idea Kevin Bly wanted to coach. Me either. See, Steve, Steve, you got me on that. I'm the same way, Steve. I had no clue this was a aspiration of his to well, do been, to do this. He's been coaching. Yeah, but not not head coach on the. Well, on, but I mean, if you're coaching, I guess you, so. I mean, well, uh, is people get into coaching just to be an assistant. Uh, some guys don't want the head job. <laughs> well, some guys well, don't get it. Yeah, I think uh, that's they. True. <laughs> Well, also, also too, if you're Kevin Malai, I mean, would you, would you aspire maybe more so to be an offensive line coach in the NFL, or or maybe an offensive coordinator, or work your way up to that, or is your is your passion to be a high school head coach? Is that something you want to do? And that was interesting. I mean, that's the thing that Dilfer. Uh, the only reason I was a little bit surprised when I first got news of him going to UIB is he had really kind of sold it that he didn't need to be at the highest level. He'd He'd had some, you know, I guess, success with the Elite 11 camps and that he was excited about the opportunity to get young men who were from families and put them into a high school program and, and turn them, maybe I should say young boys, and turn them into young men ready to go off to college. I, I think that was important to him, and he had a lot of success in doing that. So you never know somebody's motivation, but I just hadn't heard that about Kevin Bly, and I think just more so – it wasn't that long ago that Lipscomb was nowhere when it came to high school football around here. I mean, in the private school ranks, they were getting slaughtered by the good schools. They just weren't competing. And to think in the last five or six years, they've completely flipped that to going from a Super Bowl winning coach to now a Hall of Fame coach and all of the facilities. I mean, that place looks like a Division One facility, a small Division One facility. It may be nicer been a lot of small division one facilities and obviously they're getting kids from all over to come in who have bright futures in front of them and they've put the resources in it's hard to say it hasn't had a good benefit for the rest of the school as well but i think that program is going to be set up to be good for some time yeah it is amazing all right real quick on the way out who's going to be playing for the super bowl who takes care of business on sunday you know what? I said Bengals 49ers going into the playoffs. I like the direction mm. both of them are going, but I, I'm having a, a few second thoughts with the Eagles now because I, I was worried about the injuries at the regular season. They looked like the number one seed the other day. I'm going to stick with my original prediction, but I won't be shocked if Philly wins it all. Yeah, they certainly look good. That's for sure. And it looks like, I guess, Jalen Hurts has passed the shoulder injury. So it'll be a fun yeah. Sunday. <laughs> it'll be a fun Sunday for sure. Hey, appreciate it, uh, the visit as always. Have a great week, and we'll talk soon. Hey, thanks for dealing with my phone issue. We'll talk to you again. <laughs> no All good. Problem, Steve. Steve Lehman, News Channel 5.